Chapter One of A Shepherd's Life Impressions of the South Wiltshire Downs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. A Shepherd's Life Impressions of the South Wiltshire Downs by William Henry Hudson. Chapter One Salisbury Plain. Introductory Remarks Wiltshire Little Favored by Tourists aspect of the downs bad weather desolate aspect the bird scarer fascination of the downs the larger salisbury plain effect of the military occupation a century's changes birds old wiltshire sheep sheep horns in a well changes wrought by cultivation rabbit warrens on the downs barrows obliterated by the plough and by rabbits wiltshire looks large on the map of england a great green county yet it never appears to be a favourite one to those who go on rambles in the land at all events i am unable to bring to mind an instance of a lover of wiltshire who was not a native or a resident or had not been to marlborough and loved the country on account of early associations nor can i regard myself as an exception since owing to a certain kind of adaptiveness in me a sense of being at home wherever grass grows i am in a way a native too again listen to any half-dozen of your friends discussing the places they have visited or intend visiting comparing notes about the counties towns churches castles scenery all that draws them and satisfies their nature and the chances are they will not even mention wiltshire they all know it in a way they have seen salisbury cathedral and stonehenge which everybody must go to look at once in his life and they have also viewed the country from the windows of a railway carriage as they pass through on their flight to bath or to wales with its mountains and to the west country which many of us love best of all somerset devon and cornwall for there is nothing striking in wiltshire at all events to those who love nature first nor mountains nor sea nor anything to compare with the places they are hastening to west or north the downs yes the downs are there full in sight of your window in their flowing forms resembling vast pale green waves wave beyond wave in fluctuation fixed a fine country to walk on in fine weather for all those who regard the mere exercise of walking as sufficient pleasure but to those who wish for something more these downs may be neglected since if downs are wanted there is the higher nobler sussex range within an hour of london there are others on whom the naked aspect of the downs has a repelling effect like gilpin they love not an undecorated earth and false and ridiculous as gilpin's taste may seem to me and to all those who love the chalk which spoils everything as gilpin said he certainly expresses a feeling common to those who are unaccustomed to the emptiness and silence of these great spaces as to walking on the downs one remembers that the fine days are not so many even in the season when they are looked for they have certainly been few during this wet and discomfortable one of nineteen o nine it is indeed only on the chalk hills that i ever feel disposed to quarrel with the english climate for all weathers are good to those who love the open air and have their special attractions what a pleasure it is to be out in rough weather in october 
when the equinoctial gales are on the wind euclodian to listen to its roaring in the bending trees to watch the dead leaves flying the pestilence stricken multitudes yellow and black and red whirled away in flight on flight before the volleying blast and to hear and see and feel the tempests of rain the big silver-gray drops that smite you like hail and what pleasure too in the still gray november weather the time of suspense and melancholy before winter a strange quietude like a sense of apprehension in nature and so on through the revolving year in all places in all weathers there is pleasure in the open air except on these chalk hills because of their bleak nakedness there the wind and driving rain are not for but against you and may overcome you with misery one feels their loneliness monotony and desolation on many days sometimes even when it is not wet and i here recall an amusing encounter with a bird-scarer during one of these dreary spells it was in march bitterly cold with an east wind which had been blowing many days and overhead the sky was of a hard steely grey i was cycling along the valley of the ebel and finally leaving it pushed up a long steep slope and set off over the high plain by a dusty road with the wind hard against me a more desolate scene than the one before me it would be hard to imagine for the land was all ploughed and stretched away before me an endless succession of vast grey fields divided by wire fences on all that space there was but one living thing in sight a human form a boy far away on the left side standing in the middle of a big field with something which looked like a gun in his hand immediately after i saw him he too appeared to have caught sight of me for turning he set off running as fast as he could over the ploughed ground towards the road as if intending to speak to me the distance he would have to run was about a quarter of a mile and i doubted that he would be there in time to catch me but he ran fast and the wind was against me and he arrived at the road just as i got to that point there by the side of the fence he stood panting from his race his handsome face glowing with colour a boy about twelve or thirteen with a fine strong figure remarkably well dressed for a bird scarer for that was what he was and he carried a queer heavy-looking old gun i got off my wheel and waited for him to speak but he was silent and continued regarding me with the smiling countenance of one well pleased with himself well i said but there was no answer he only kept on smiling what do you want i demanded impatiently i don't want anything but you started running here as fast as you could the moment you caught sight of me well yes i did well what did you do it for what was your object in running here just to see you pass he answered it was a little ridiculous and vexed me at first but by and by when i left him after some more conversation i felt rather pleased for it was a new and somewhat flattering experience to have any person run a long distance over a ploughed field burdened with a heavy gun just to see me pass but it was not strange in the circumstances his hours in that grey windy desolation must have seemed like days and it was a break in the monotony 
a little joyful excitement in getting to the road in time to see a passer-by more closely and for a few moments gave him a sense of human companionship i began even to feel a little sorry for him alone there in his high dreary world but presently thought he was better off and better employed than most of his fellows poring over miserable books in school and i wished we had a more rational system of education for the agricultural districts one which would not keep the children shut up in a room during all the best hours of the day when to be out of doors seeing hearing and doing would fit them so much better for the life work before them squeer's method was a wiser one we think less of it than of the delightful caricature which makes squeers a joy for ever as mr lang has said of pecksniff but dickens was a londoner and incapable of looking at this or any other question from any other than the londoner's standpoint can you have a better system for the children of all england than this one which will turn out the most perfect draper's assistant in oxford street or to go higher the most efficient mr guppy in a solicitor's office it is true that we have nature's unconscious intelligence against us that by and by when at the age of fourteen the boy is finally released she will set to work to undo the wrong by discharging from his mind its accumulations of useless knowledge as soon as he begins the work of life but what a waste of time and energy and money one can only hope that the slow intellect of the country will wake to this question some day that the countryman will say to the townsman go on making your laws and systems of education for your own children who will live as you do indoors while i shall devise a different one for mine one which will give them hard muscles and teach them to raise the mutton and pork and cultivate the potatoes and cabbage on which we all feed to return to the downs their very emptiness and desolation which frightens the stranger from them only serves to make them more fascinating to those who are intimate with and have learned to love them that dreary aspect brings to mind the other one when on waking with the early sunlight in the room you look out on a blue sky cloudless or with white clouds it may be fancy or the effect of contrast but it has always seemed to me that just as the air is purer and fresher on these chalk heights than on the earth below and as the water is of a more crystal purity and the sky perhaps bluer so do all colours and all sounds have a purity and vividness and intensity beyond that of other places i see it in the yellows of hawkweed rock-rose and bird's-foot trefoil in the innumerable specks of brilliant colour blue and white and rose of milkwort and squinancywort and in the large flowers of the dwarf thistle glowing purple in its green setting and i hear it in every bird sound in the trivial songs of yellowhammer and corn-bunting and of dunnock and wren and whitethroat the pleasure of walking on the downs is not however a subject which concerns me now it is one i have written about in a former work nature in downland descriptive of the south downs the theme of the present work is the life human and other of the south wiltshire downs or of salisbury plain it is the part of wiltshire which has most attracted me 
most persons would say that the marlborough downs are greater more like the great sussex range as it appears from the weald but chance brought me farther south and the character and life of the village people when i came to know them made this appear the best place to be in the plain itself is not a precisely denned area and may be made to include as much or little as will suit the writer's purpose if you want a continuous plain with no dividing valley cutting through it you must place it between the avon and wiley rivers a distance about fifteen miles broad and as many long with the village of teshed in its centre or if you don't mind the valleys you can say it extends from downton and tollard royal south of salisbury to the pesey vale in the north and from the hampshire border on the east side to dorset and somerset on the west about twenty-five to thirty miles each way my own range is over this larger salisbury plain which includes the river ebel or eberly with its numerous interesting villages from oddstock and combisset near salisbury and the chalks to pretty alvadiston near the dorset line and all those in the nadder valley and westward to white sheet hill above mere you can picture this high chalk country as an open hand the left hand with salisbury in the hollow of the palm placed nearest the wrist and the five valleys which cut through it as the five spread fingers from the bourne the little finger succeeding by avon wiley and nadder to the ebley which comes in lower down as the thumb and has its junction with the main stream below salisbury a very large portion of this high country is now in a transitional state that was once a sheep walk and is now a training ground for the army where the sheep are taken away the turf loses the smooth elastic character which makes it better to walk on than the most perfect lawn the sheep fed closely and everything that grew on the down grasses clovers and numerous small creeping herbs had acquired the habit of growing and flowering close to the ground every species and each individual plant striving with the unconscious intelligence that is in all growing things to hide its leaves and pushing sprays under the others to escape the nibbling teeth by keeping close to the surface there are grasses and some herbs the plantain among them which keep down very close but must grow up a tall stem to flower and seed look at the plantain when its flowering time comes each particular plant growing with its leaves so close down on the surface as to be safe from the busy searching mouths then all at once throwing up tall straight stems to flower and ripen its seeds quickly watch a flock at this time and you will see a sheep walking about rapidly plucking the flowering spikes cutting them from the stalk with a sharp snap taking them off at the rate of a dozen or so in twenty seconds but the sheep cannot be all over the downs at the same time and the time is short myriads of plants throwing up their stems at once so that many escape and it has besides a deep perennial root so that the plant keeps its own life though it may be unable to sow any seeds for many seasons so with other species which must send up a tall flower stem and by and by the flowering over and the seeds ripened or lost the dead scattered stems remain like long hairs growing out of a close fur 
The turf remains unchanged, but take the sheep away and it is like the removal of a pressure or a danger. The plant recovers liberty and confidence and casts off the old habit. It springs and presses up to get the better of its fellows, to get all the dew and rain and sunshine that it can, and the result is a rough surface. Another effect of the military occupation is the destruction of all the wildlife of the plain, but that is a matter I have written about in my last book, Afoot in England, in a chapter on Stonehenge, and need not dwell on here. To the lover of Salisbury Plain, as it was, the sight of military camps with white tents or zinc houses, and of bodies of men in khaki marching and drilling, and the sounds of guns, now informs him that he is in a district which has lost its attraction where nature has been dispossessed meanwhile there is a corresponding change going on in the human life of the district let any one describe it as he thinks best as an improvement or a deterioration it is a great change nevertheless which in my case and probably that of many others is as disagreeable to contemplate as that which we are beginning to see in the down which was once a sheep-walk and is no longer on this account i have ceased to frequent that portion of the plain where the war office is in possession of the land and to keep to the southern side in my rambles out of sight and hearing of the white tented camps and mimic warfare here is salisbury plain as it has been these thousand years past or ever since sheep were pastured here more than in any other district in england and that may well date even more than ten centuries back undoubtedly changes have taken place even here some very great chiefly during the last or from the late eighteenth century changes both in the land and the animal life wild and domestic of the losses in wild bird life there will be something to say in another chapter they relate chiefly to the extermination of the finest species the big bird especially the soaring bird which is now gone out of all this wide wiltshire sky as a naturalist i must also lament the loss of the old wiltshire breed of sheep although so long gone once it was the only breed known in wilts and extended over the entire county it was a big animal the largest of the fine-wooled sheep in england but for looks it certainly compared badly with modern downland breeds and possessed it was said all the points which the breeder or improver was against thus its head was big and clumsy with a round nose its legs were long and thick its belly without wool and both sexes were horned horns even in a ram are an abomination to the modern sheep farmer in southern england finally it was hard to fatten on the other hand it was a sheep which had been from of old on the bare open downs and was modified to suit the conditions the scanty feed the bleak bare country and the long distances it had to travel to and from the pasture ground it was a strong healthy intelligent animal in appearance and character like the old original breed of sheep on the pampas of south america which i knew as a boy a coarse-wooled sheep with naked belly tall and hardy a greatly modified variety of the sheep introduced by the spanish colonist three centuries ago 
at all events the old wiltshire sheep had its merits and when the southdown breed was introduced during the late eighteenth century the farmer viewed it with disfavour they liked their old native animal and did not want to lose it but it had to go in time just as in later times the southdown had to go when the hampshire down took its place the breed which is now universal in south wilts at all events a solitary flock of the pure-bred old wiltshire sheep existed in the county as late as eighteen forty but the breed has now so entirely disappeared from the country that you find many shepherds who have never even heard of it not many days ago i met with a curious instance of this ignorance of the past i was talking to a shepherd a fine intelligent fellow keenly interested in the subjects of sheep and sheep-dogs on the high down above the village of broadchalk on the ebble and he told me that his dog was of mixed breed but on its mother's side came from a welsh sheep-dog that his father had always had the welsh dog once common in wiltshire and he wondered why it had gone out as it was so good an animal this led me to say something about the old sheep having gone out too and as he had never heard of the old breed i described the animal to him what i told him he said explained something which had been a puzzle to him for some years there was a deep hollow in the down near the spot where we were standing and at the bottom he said there was an old well which had been used in former times to water the sheep but masses of earth had fallen down from the sides and in that condition it had remained for no one knew how long perhaps fifty perhaps a hundred years some years ago it came into his master's head to have this old well cleaned out and this was done with a good deal of labour the sides having first been boarded over to make it safe for the workmen below at the bottom of the well a vast store of ram's horns were discovered and brought out it was a mystery to the farmer and the men how so large a number of sheep's horns had been got together for rams are few and do not die often and here there were hundreds of horns he understood it now for if all the sheep ewes as well as rams were horned in the old breed a collection like this might easily have been made the greatest change of the last hundred years is no doubt that which the plough has wrought in the aspect of the downs there is a certain pleasure to the eye in the wide fields of golden corn especially of wheat in july and august but a ploughed down is a down made ugly and it strikes one as a mistake even from a purely economic point of view that this old rich turf the slow product of centuries should be ruined for ever as sheep pasture when so great an extent of uncultivated land exists elsewhere especially the heavy clays of the midlands better suited for corn the effect of breaking up the turf on the high downs is often disastrous the thin soil which was preserved by the close hard turf is blown or washed away and the soil becomes poorer year by year in spite of dressing until it is hardly worth cultivating clover may be grown on it but it continues to deteriorate or the tenant or landlord may turn it into a rabbit warren the most fatal policy of all how hideous they are those great stretches of downland enclosed in big wire fences and rabbit netting with little but wiry weeds moss and lichen growing on them the earth dug up everywhere by the disorderly little beasts 
for a while there is a profit it will serve me my time the owner says but the end is utter barrenness one must lament too the destruction of the ancient earthworks especially of the barrows which is going on all over the downs most rapidly where the land is broken up by the plough one wonders if the ever-increasing curiosity of our day with regard to the history of the human race in the land continues to grow what our descendants of the next half of the century to go no farther will say of us and our incredible carelessness in the matter so small a matter to us but one which will perhaps be immensely important to them it is perhaps better for our peace that we do not know it would not be pleasant to have our children's and children's children's contemptuous expressions sounding in our prophetic ears perhaps we have no right to complain of the obliteration of these memorials of antiquity by the plough the living are more than the dead and in this case it may be said that we are only following the artemisian example in consuming in our daily bread minute portions of the ashes of our old relations albeit untearfully with a cheerful countenance still one cannot but experience a shock on seeing the plough driven through an ancient smooth turf curiously marked with barrows lynchets and other mysterious mounds and depressions where sheep have been pastured for a thousand years without obscuring these strange hieroglyphs scored by men on the surface of the hills it is not however only on the cultivated ground that the destruction is going on the rabbit too is an active agent in demolishing the barrows and other earthworks he burrows into the mound and throws out bushels of chalk and clay which is soon washed away by the rains he tunnels it through and through and sometimes makes it his village then one day the farmer or keeper who is not an archaeologist comes along and puts his ferrets into the holes and one of them after drinking his fill of blood falls asleep by the side of his victim and the keeper sets to work with pick and shovel to dig him out and demolishes half the barrows to recover his vile little beast End of chapter 1